0: Good evening, everyone. OK, we're going to do a smile check, just to make sure you made it through the week. Yes, smiling. Praise the Lord. Smiles. Yes, smiles. I see it. I see it. Yeah, that's a scary smile. I don't know what you're doing right there. <laughs> she got her hands up and everything. <laughs> <She's>, uh, <laughs> smile check. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's good to see you. Good to see- Yes, yes. Praise the Lord. I see you, brother. All right, praise the Lord. Happy Sabbath, everyone. We have been blessed this week to come to this moment in time where God is going to be with us even again as we study the Word of God. Now, this is, this is a chart that I put together on PowerPoint, actually made it on PowerPoint, it took me days to do it. It was fun doing it. It's a, this is what's in my brain. It's like, if when I'm talking to you, this is what it looks like in my brain. It's a a conglomeration of many, many verses and pictures and stories and prophecies, all of Daniel 2, all of Daniel 7, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, all that's in my brain while I'm talking to you, trying to make it as simple as possible, Uh, and not always successful in making it simple. (laughs) But God is good. Before we begin tonight, I'm not smart enough or intelligent enough to communicate the realities of the gospel So because of my great need of the Most High and your great need as well, let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for not giving us what we deserve. thank you for this moment in time where we can come together from all over the state and open our Bibles and to study and to pray and to seek your face. Oh Father, we believe that these are the last hours of Earth's history. We believe, Lord, that you are wrapping up this work, this great work, and you have been patiently working on your saints. Father, in these moments in time, please teach us in these few short hours, what has taken many years to understand. We pray this in Jesus' name and we claim the merits of his blood. Amen. Amen. So, tonight, there are a couple of things. One, you should have received a blank sheet of paper, it kind of looks like this it looks like this it says prophetic lines. You should have received a paper that says prophetic lines. You did not? All right, well, raise your hand if you did not and my f- brother Praveen will get that to you. So you're gonna receive that sheet of paper. And then also, there's a private study that I did. It's about seven pages long. You'll receive it before the night is over. They're printing some extra copies tonight. And it's called The Judgment is Set, the First Angel. And we go through, I go through in detail, do a question and answer format. We're gonna touch some of this tonight. And there's several things that we're going to cover by God's grace, and we're just going to put this picture together. We're coming down to the last few days of these sorts of meetings, but as I was talking to your pastor, um, he said that we could keep studying the Bible together, if that's okay. You guys don't mind studying the Bible even after this? Yeah, so we're going to keep studying together, and we'll, they'll make an announcement tomorrow morning in particular when and where and what. All right. So... You have your Bibles, please open them to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 1. Now, this is going to be almost a summation. Of all that we've tried to study in these 28 weeks, or 28 sessions, there haven't been 28 weeks. (laughs) Mercy, that would have been over a half a year. But we've been studying together in 28 sessions. It's going to try to be a summation. I don't believe we're going to be able to do that, but we're going to do our best. So in Revelation 17, it starts out with an interesting imagery. I'll read the first two verses to you. It says, And there came one of the seven angels... Which have the seven vials, and talk with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon what, my friends? So, the the, the thematic concept of Revelation chapter 17 is that this angel is going to show the judgments that are going to come upon this whore that sits upon many waters. Does everybody understand that? So that's the theme. Everything else after, after that is commentary. It's explanation on what God is going to do with this power. Notice what else the Bible says. It says, verse 2, "...with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness." And I I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, for a moment, I'm just going to make some observations, okay? This is what I do when I study the Bible, make observations. This beast that she sits on has how many heads? So this is Revelation 17 beast. This beast has seven heads, and what else does it have? Seven heads, ten horns. It's an observation. And a woman sits on this beast. What color is this beast that she sits on? All right, so this seven head, ten horn beast is scarlet. Go back with me for a moment. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 13. And we're going to read verses 1, 2, and 3. We're making an observation. In Revelation 13, it says, and I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having how many heads? Seven heads and how many horns? Ten horns. And upon his horns, what? Ten crowns. That's interesting. And upon his heads, the name what? Well, that's interesting. So we have another beast. We have a beast in Revelation 17 that has seven heads and ten horns. And we have, a, it's the color scarlet. Then we have a beast in Revelation 13. This beast has seven heads, seven heads, 10 horns. And this also has 10 crowns. And then the description of this beast is not scarlet. It's not red. What is the description of the beast? It has a body like a what? Like a leopard. It has feet like what? A bear it has a mouth like what? Oh that's interesting. We're just making an observation. Feet like bear. Mouth like lion. Body like leopard. Interesting. Yeah, that's what I do. I I study the Bible, just say interesting. I don't know the answer right now, but I'm making an observation. But I do know similarities. Similarity, Seven heads, ten horns. Everybody follow that? All right, let's go a little further. Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, you have something that's similar. Revelation chapter 12, we're going to begin reading at verse number 3. Notice what the Bible says. In Revelation chapter 12, beginning at verse 3, the Bible says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great... Red. What's it say? Dragon Dragon having what? Seven Seven heads and what? Ten horns horns and what? Well, that's interesting. Again, now Revelation 12 has a picture of something similar. Revelation 12, seven heads, ten horns, and then it said how many crowns? That's interesting. That's what I do every time. This is interesting. This is an observation. You put it on the table and you observe. Seven heads, ten horns, and what's the color of this? uh, Red. So somewhere along the way, whether it's Revelation 17, Revelation 13, Revelation 12, seven heads and ten horns is a a common denominator. (laughs) Can we agree on that? Okay, very good. So that was an observation that I had. Then I had another observation. Revelation 13 says that the feet of this beast was like a bear. The mouth was like a lion. His body was like a leopard. And my brain says, wait a second. Haven't I seen something like this before? Where have we seen it? Daniel what? Daniel chapter 7. So go to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, we have an interesting observation again to make. In Daniel 7, verse 4 says, speaking of the beast that came out of the sea, of these turbulent seas, and we know, according to Isaiah chapter 17, verse 12 and 13, turbulent seas have to do with a wicked people, right? And the beast in Bible prophecy is a kingdom. So we know in Daniel 7, as we see this lion coming up out of this this these waves or ocean or whatnot this line is the kingdom and this kingdom it says had eagle's wings and then we jump down to verse five it says behold another beast a second like a what my friends like a bear and then we go down to verse number six and after this it says after this I beheld and lo, another like a leopard another like a leopard so we have a lion a bear and a leopard now, I have a question for you. Based on what you see here in Daniel chapter seven, how many heads does a lion have? I hear Ola saying one, anyone else? Any? How many heads does a lion have? Okay, so the lion has one head. A lion, one head. What about the, the lion, the bear? How many heads does a bear have? All right, bear has one head. How many uh, heads does the leper have? Is there a consistency on, on this number? What, how many heads does the leper have? Four, that's interesting. So this one has four heads. What about the dreadful and terrible beast? How many heads does it have, everyone? The dreadful and terrible beast has one head. Now, we do the math. How many heads is this? If you take one head plus one head plus four heads plus one head. That's interesting. Seven heads. How many horns does the dreadful and terrible beast have, my friends? It has ten horns. The imagery that the book of Revelation picks up, picks it up from the book of Daniel. Are you with me, my friends? It's almost as if Daniel is, you know, he has his vision. And in the book of Revelation, it has its vision. But God is making a connection, if you will, between the two visions. Are you following? So then I made another observation. We're just observing tonight because we're going to put this together in a moment. Why why does the beast in Revelation chapter 13 have a body like a leopard? Anybody have an idea on that? Why does he have a body like a leopard? Why didn't it say he has a body like a bear and have his feet like a leopard? Why is his body like a leopard? What's the significance of that in, in science? Yes. Fast, very good, and what else? But what else? It camouflages. You see, the body of a leopard blends very well into nature when it's hunting for its prey. So whatever this kingdom is is a camouflage. It can adapt. Wherever it goes, it adapts. And my friends, we've already identified who this power is. Let me ask another question. Why the feet of a bear? What's the significance of that? It's power, right? One. How many swipes does the bear need to have to knock you out? It it, it barely needs to breathe on me. I'll be knocked out. (laughs) Right? He raises his paw. That's it. One swipe from the bear. We're done. Okay, that's interesting. so the power and might of the bear swiping its prey nullifies it done finish okay another question why mouth like a lion right it's authority it's a kingly it roars when it roars and in the keys the king of the jungle when he speaks everybody stops to listen are you following what i'm saying my friends and so this is interesting you see you can study the bible using the second book of nature as well i mean the second book of revelation nature is that second book of revelation It's very interesting. So I use my Bible to pull things out, but I also go to nature now and say, what does nature say about these creatures? What does nature say about this? So when I see a woman and her face is shining like the sun and there are 12 stars upon her head, this is nature on this woman. Why does God use that? We're not talking about that right now, but understand nature is another revelation to help you understand this book. Are you following my friends? Okay. So I have this beast that has seven heads and ten horns. It's reflected in the, the dragon, which we know identifies clearly as the devil and Satan, according to Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9. We also see it replicated in the papacy, as we see Revelation 13, 1 through 10. And then we see a conglomeration of the powers in Revelation chapter 17. Now, I'm going to make an observation because we're going to deal with the seven heads in Revelation. Seven heads on the beast, seven heads in the book of Revelation. So go back to Revelation chapter 17. Back to Revelation chapter 17. And while you were going there, why is that frozen? Okay, get past that. So let me just do this. While you're going there, please take a look at your the screen. You also have your blank sheet of paper that has your prophetic lines. Now yours is written like parallel, mine is going to be uh, different. So you see here, the B is a symbol of Babylon. That is the first super major power in the book of Daniel, Babylon. You'll see that the head of gold and the lion. So on your blank sheet, can I see your sheet? On your blank sheet on line number one, you just put head of gold and then you put lion right there for number one, head of gold, and then you put lion, and then of course you can write Babylon somewhere along that line. Head of gold, then put lion. All right. After that, we know the next kingdom to come up after Babylon is the kingdom of Medes and the Persians. And for this one, you want to have chests and arms of silver. You want to put The bear with three ribs in his mouth, and you want to put the ram. Okay? And that goes on line number two. And then when you write that, make sure you write Medo Persia somewhere on that line. So what I'm giving you is a map. Right? So you can literally write um, chest and arms of silver, bear, ram, just like that. Yeah, just like that. So each blank line is open for you to do that. And then somewhere along that, right? Medo-Persia. All right, the next one. Kingdom that comes after Medo-Persia is Greece. It's Greece. And we have belly and thighs of brass. We have the leper with four heads. And we also have this he-goat with a special little horn that comes out of his head, all right? But we have the he-goat, he-goat, H-E, and then G-O-A-T. Is that right, G-O-A-T? yes, he-goat, all right? I'll write another one here. This is Rome, pagan Rome, and you have the legs of iron, you have the dreadful, terrible beast, and you have the little horn that has grown very, very big. Okay, let me help you out. Yep, you're doing good. No, I'm missing these two. Yeah. So number three would be this is the belly and thighs of brass. Oh. Yeah. That's the leopard, right? And that's the he Yep, that's the legs of iron. All right, you're welcome. Everybody following thus far? All right. So what I want you to do is be able to walk away tonight with a map. You guys all right over here? Yep, you got it. The he goat? What what, what country was that? The he goat is Greece, right there with the G. It's Greece. All right. So, I'm giving you a map. So, when you go home tonight, you'll be like, boom, it's right there. And of course, you can take a picture. Everybody take a picture. You're all good with that. But writing it helps to stay in the brain. All right? Now, this one is Papal Rome. Papal Rome. This is the mixture of iron and clay, a mixture of church and state. That iron and clay goes all the way down to the end of time. We're living in that time now. It's not just papal Rome in that sense either. I mean, it goes all the way down to apostate Protestantism as well, trying to link up with the state. But I want you to see that each one of these are a succession of kingdoms. You'll see the first row well, right above the B where the head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. That's all Daniel 2. Okay? The second row right there where it says the lion, the bear, the leopard, the dreadful and terrible beast, the little horn, that's all Daniel 7. And then above it where the ram and then there's the he-goat and then that he-goat has a little horn. You see I made the horn go all the way down to the end of time there or to the, where the ten horns are. That little horn, that's all Daniel 8. So what we're having is a repeat and expand, a repeat and expansion, a repeat and expansion. Now there's something else I want you to observe You'll notice that in the Daniel 2 row, where it says the head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, these are all kingdom-building materials. Okay? When, When Nebuchadnezzar goes to sleep, he's thinking about what's going to happen to my kingdom. So what does God give him? He gives him a dream that he can understand, he can adapt to. You're going to need gold to build your kingdom. You need brass to you, build your kingdom, silver, so forth and so on. And the second one, where it says the lion, the bear, the leopard, all these dreadful and terrible beasts, you'll notice that all those pictures are pictures of beasts of prey. These are kingdoms that are persecuted and prosecuting God's people. Okay? These are kingdoms that are persecuted and prosecuting God's people. But in Daniel 8, I find it to be very, very interesting because Daniel 8 is the chapter that brings to view the cleansing of the sanctuary or the restoration of the sanctuary. So it only uses clean animals in Daniel 8. It uses ram Hego. These are clean animals that are allowed to be used in the sanctuary. So God, in each one, you'll see that the movements through the imagery doesn't change the application of what kingdom it applies to. Is everybody with me? What he does, he shifts the imagery to emphasize a different point. He shifts the imagery to emphasize a different point. I love how God does things. I want to show you something. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 13 for a moment. Matthew chapter 13. Yes, for the PR. It should be iron and clay. Ten horns. ten horns. Yes. And what's the last one? Or actually, the actually it shouldn't be ten horns. There, it should be the little horn. See that little hen with the face there? So I'm seven horns. Yeah. There's a, There's a little one in the middle. And then what's the third space? Verse? Uh, little horn. Yeah, it's just gross. Okay, Matthew 13. You're welcome. In Matthew 13, look at verse number 10. And watch what the Bible says. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he's asking, uh, they're asking him a question. It says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto us in parables? Yeah, why are you speaking to us in symbols? Why are, you, why are you making this so complicated? Why don't you just come out and just say what you want to say? He answered, verse 11, and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him it shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah which saith by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive watch this for this people's heart is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be what, my friends? Be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears for they hear. So let me let me break this down. Jesus said, I'm speaking in parables because I'm, with, I'm actually testing the hearts of men to see if they really love what I'm saying. I'm going to speak through you in parables, boom. So they see it, but they can't see it. Now, have you ever been tested by the, a loved one? I've been tested by my wife many times. And some, sometimes the test is simply, it's a simple test. Sometimes I don't know it's a test. Sometimes I catch it. Now I'm older and wiser. We've been married for, you know, a little longer. So she'll ask me to do something, and I'll be like, "Uh uh-huh, the way she said that, this is a test. This is a test. I figured out the code. The parable is no longer there. I can see clearly now exactly what she really wants when she says what she's saying. You guys follow what I'm saying? You see, the deeper the love relationship, the clearer the parable. And so for me... When I come up against something I don't fully understand, I wait patiently because I'm like, Lord, I know you're going to reveal this thing. I'm not going to force this interpretation. I'm going to wait for you to express what the revelation is supposed to be. And the closer we come to Jesus, parables become less parable like. They become very clear and distinct. Somebody's afraid of the book of Revelation. I always use it when I'm on the plane and somebody says, well, so what do you teach? I'd say, I said, I've teached the book of Revelation. Have you ever read it? they would be like, oh, that's a scary book. I'm like, no, no, not really. It's the revelation of Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus. So these parables or this imagery is to test your love right now. Are you patient to hear what he has to say? So here I've laid this out for you. This is a very simple layout of a parallel of the chart. And I'm now going to read a, a, a quotation that I want you to just pay attention to. So here, here it is, and I, I want you to think about it. It says, hundreds of years before certain nations came upon the stage of action. The omniscient one, what does omniscient mean? Omni. The omniscient one looked down the ages and predicted the rise and fall of the universal kingdoms. God declared to Nebuchadnezzar that the kingdom of Babylon should fall, and a second kingdom should ar- would arise, which also would have its period of trial. Failing to exalt the true God, its glory would fade, and a third kingdom would occupy its place. This also would pass away, and a fourth, strong as iron, would subdue the nations of the world. So here's the general idea, now this is I'm putting it out there, I want you to think about what I'm saying to you. In this passage, it's saying that God has allowed nations to rise up, and they have a righteous responsibility. Are you following the idea? Does that make sense? So God brings them up for a reason. Watch this. I want to bring this a little further. Had the rulers of Babylon, the riches of all earthly kingdoms, kept always before them the fear of Jehovah, they would have been given wisdom and power which would have bound them to him and kept them strong. But they made God their refuge Only when harassed and perplexed. I wonder, do we do that? Do we wait for harassment and perplexity? Then we go and pray longer and study harder. But they made God their refuge only when harassed and perplexed. At such times, failing to find help in their great men, they sought it from men like Daniel. Men who they knew honored the living God and were honored by him we found that in the book of Daniel especially chapter five right there's a big party handwriting on the wall everybody's like oh let's stop the party let's go talk to Jesus and my friends this is happening even in our world today nobody wants to hang out with us right now but soon they went asking all sorts of questions right (laughs) to these men they appealed to unravel the mysteries of providence for though the rulers of proud Babylon were men of highest intellect, they had separated themselves so far from God by transgression that they could not understand the revelations and the warnings given them concerning the future. So they have great men, mighty men, intelligent men. But because they'd separated from God, and uh, uh, real quick, just so you can understand this idea, do you guys remember the story of Jeremiah the prophet? Jeremiah the prophet was left in Jerusalem, and when he was left there, Nebuchadnezzar, you can type that name in, nebuzaradan was the captain of Nebuchadnezzar's army, and Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem and takes everybody captive, and he takes Jeremiah, and he's talking to Jeremiah, and they're having like a private conversation, and Nebuchadnezzar turns to Jeremiah the prophet and says, you know, uh, Jeremiah, the reason why you guys were taken captive is because you've been disobedient to your God. This is the pagan captain of the pagan army turning to the prophet of Israel, telling the prophet of Israel, you know you're being taken captive because you have broken your covenant relationship with your God. Now, mind you, do you understand the spirituality that Nebuchadnezzar must have had? To acknowledge that there was a living God, he must have been having conversations with Daniel back, back in, the, back in the Babylon. You guys follow the idea? And I want to show you something else that I found Fascinating about Bible prophecy that if you can hold in your mind, you'll see that uh, you don't have to guess about what's about to happen next. It says, because in the future. Okay, so then it says, in the history of nations, the student of God's word may behold the literal fulfillment of divine prophecy. Babylon, shattered and broken at last, passed away because it Because in prosperity, its rulers have regarded themselves as independent of God and had ascribed the glory of their kingdom to what, my friends? Human achievement. The Medo-Persian realm was visited by the wrath of God because in it, God's law had been trampled underfoot. The fear of the Lord had found no place in the hearts of the vast majority of the people. Again, let me take a, a quick commercial. So in Daniel chapter 4, remember Daniel chapter 4? That is the chapter that Nebuchadnezzar himself wrote in the book of Daniel. And in that chapter, he's actually giving testimony to God, and he starts off by saying this. Hold your hand where we are, Matthew. I want to go to Daniel real quick. I want to show you something. At the beginning of that chapter, he says something that really captivated my mind, and you'll see why in a moment. And this is, he starts by doing this, and then he goes into his testimony. But in Daniel chapter 4, he says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. He says, I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God have wrought towards me. Watch what he says. This is is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Isn't that a powerful testimony? A pagan king now has been converted. Are you following the idea? This converted king stands and gives glory to the most high God, and he gives a testimony. He says, at the, in, the, in, in the midst of it, he says, God made me eat grass because I was proud. And then at the end of his cleanse that he went on, amen, watch what he says at the end of it. In verse number 36, this is after he's acknowledging his weakness and actually verse th- Verse 34. It says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever and ever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and my brightness returned unto me, and my countenance and my Lord sought me. And I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride. What does it say, my friends? So this is the testimony of the greatest king on the planet at the time. He is a converted man. Therefore, he is reigning Babylon with a converted mind. Babylon prospers. But then you see in Daniel chapter five, where the grandson has ignored what daddy has done. And Babylon, false. Are you following the idea? But let's, let's go a little further. Watch this. In the history of nations, the student of God's word may behold the literal fulfillment of divine prophecy. Babylon, shattered and broken at last, passed away. Because in prosperity, its rulers have regarded themselves as independent of God and had ascribed the glory of their kingdom to human achievement. The Medo-Persian realm was visited by the wrath of heaven because in it, God's law had been trampled underfoot. The fear of the Lord have found no place in the hearts of the vast majority of the people. And quick story about Medo-Persia. You understand the king of Medo-Persia was best friends with Daniel. So when he pulled Daniel out of the lion's den, he's acknowledging the reality that there is a God in heaven. So there was a point in time when Medo-Persia, in God's eyes, was a good nation. Each nation has its time to rule. And as the nation fulfills or does not fulfill its responsibility, the nation is removed. Are you following what I'm saying, my friend? Stay with me. Wickedness, blasphemy, and corruption prevailed. The kingdoms that followed were even more base and corrupt, and these sank lower and still lower in the scale of moral worth. The power exercised by every ruler on the earth. How many rulers on the earth, my friend? Now, you got to hear this, man. Every ruler on the earth. Is heaven imparted? It doesn't mean you have to like everybody, but you have to understand God's in control. He, he removeth kings and he sets up kings. He he knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with, with him. He knows, all right. So, with that in mind, as a believer, I'm not gonna be joining all these political parties ain't being angry at everybody. There is a higher political party. You understand what I'm saying? That, that puts us above the fray, if you will. Anytime they, my friends, you know, so, my friends, we, we go through a lot. <laughs> to be honest, my friends are all over the country, and certain things are happening. We're getting pulled over just because we're black. We're just driving and pulled over because I'm black. I mean, it literally happened to me several times. I'm walking in the store, and I'm minding my business, and, sir, do you need anything? And it's not, do you need anything? It's more like, I'm watching you. Don't steal nothing. Okay, so that stuff literally happens, right? So I I don't want to ignore that that exists. However, the solution to the problem is not me picking up a sign and marching down the street. There's a greater authority and there is a plan. And as God's people come in concert with his plan, all these social ills will be corrected. Amen? There's a way to do it. I'm not saying we need to ignore anything, but I am saying our energies need to be in the right place. The power exercised by every ruler on the earth is heaven imparted, and upon his use of the power thus bestowed, his success depends. To each, the word of the divine watcher is, I gird thee, though thou hast not known me. Isaiah 45, 5. And to each, the words spoken to Nebuchadnezzar of old are the lesson of life. What are the lesson of life? What does it say? Break off thy sins by what, my friends? By righteousness. By righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. I wonder, in our present world today, are we breaking off sin by righteousness in this country today? Are we putting away iniquity to take care of the poor? You see, my friends, if we're not doing this, our tranquility is about to be very short. You know what tranquility is, right? It's called peace. In fact, if you remember the establishment of the United States of America, the Bible actually highlights it. I'm going to show you something. Hold your hand. Go, go with me to the book of Revelation. You can't hold your hand all over the place. Just close everywhere else. Go to the book of Revelation for a moment. I'm going to show you something else. We're making an observation this evening. And we're going to Revelation, the 12th chapter. Revelation, the 12th chapter, and I want to begin reading at verse number 15 for a moment. Revelation 12 and verse 15. And you'll notice here the Bible states, speaking, now it's talking about the woman, she's being persecuted, she's hiding. Verse 15 says, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman. So what is a flood normally for? What does a flood normally do? It it causes destruction. It drowns, right? It destroys. So the the serpent casts out of his mouth destruction. Waters normally represent people. And in the Bible, according to Isaiah 8, 7 and 8, a flood is an army. So there are armies, there's military force being sent after the woman, seeking to persecute and prosecute the woman. Now watch what happens. That she might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Verse 16. And the earth helped the woman. What did the earth do, my friends? It helped the woman. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. Now, the, water sw- uh, the, the earth swallowed up the water. Now, earth, uh, we read in Revelation chapter 13, there's a beast that comes out of the earth. Didn't we read that? And that earth, last night, we said that earth was a symbol of the United States of America. So there was a persecuting power. There was a persecuting power. And that persecuting power, the flood is coming after the woman, but the United States was a haven of protection from persecution for religious purposes. So people came here. The poor came here. The the, the prisoners from other countries came here. You had you have People fleeing England came here because they, did, they didn't want the church dominating their religious activity. They came here to be free from persecution, religious persecution. And when they get here and they're free from this religious persecution, this nation begins to flourish. It begins to prosper. There's a separation of church and state. whenever church and state comes together, there's always persecution. It always comes. We don't know how to handle it, my friends. I, I, we just don't know how to handle church and state together. It, is, it happens every time. So the earth helps the woman. It, pro- it provides a haven of protection for the saints of God, for the people of God. Now, the reason why I say that, because this nation at one point was a place where they showed mercy to the poor. Okay? It was a place where there, if you were in distress in another place in the world, you come here. And to a certain degree, we still have it. We're holding on by a thread. But we still have it. Let's go a little further. To understand these things, understand what things? To understand that righteousness exalteth a nation. Now, I've repeated that to you guys over and over throughout the meetings. To understand that righteousness exalteth a nation, that the throne is established by, what's it say, my friends? By righteousness and upholding by mercy to recognize the outworking of these principles in the manifestation of his power who removeth kings and setteth up kings. This is to understand the philosophy of history. What does that mean? Nations rise and fall based on their coming or understanding or closeness to the principles of God. When a nation rejects God's principles, the nation goes down. So that's why in 2015, when the Supreme Court makes a ruling saying same-sex marriage is by law, okay? When they do that, my friends, all we see now is that they're separating themselves from God's law, and in separating themselves from God's law, what's going to happen to the nation? It's going to go down. It's going to go down. When they, when they began to now, again, you know, when they legalized alcohol a long time ago, but now they literally want us to be weed heads. That's right. Like they literally want everybody to be a weed head, and it's okay. You just be a weed head. You just, you just drugged out. A gateway now is open. The nation now gets dumber. <laughs> and spiritually, we lose our bearings. That means the nation's going down. Okay, so now I don't have to be a scientist to figure out what's happening in my country. I just make an observation. The further we go away from God's law, the more realistic it becomes that the nation is going down. All right, let's go a little further. In the word of God only is this clearly set forth. In other words, you can't go to a history book and find this principle. (laughs) They're going to hide it. They're not going to bring that out. In the word of God only is this clearly set forth. Here is shown that the strength of nations as of individuals is not found in the opportunities or facilities that appear to make them invincible. It is not found in their boasted greatness. It is measured by the fidelity with which they fulfill God's purpose. Are you hearing that? So when I, I if I observe a nation that's great but what about the individual? What is your purpose? W- why did the most high put you here at this time? Have you asked yourself that question? Why does the most high decide, Andre, I want you to be here in Manchester preaching this right now? The most high uh, listen to me friends. I am I am extremely, and when I think about God and his personal dealings with me, I know 100% I should not, I don't have any right to preach to you. I just know God is good and he's merciful. And the Most High organizes things in such a manner that he's trying to work out the salvation of myself, he's trying to work out your salvation. He's trying to, And we can't see the big picture sometimes. You know, right now we, we kind of, I'm trying to show you a broader perspective of what's transpiring in its totality. But my friends, even when I show you that, there's a limit to what I can see. There's a limit to what you can see. The best thing that I can do is walk in the position God told me to walk in. As I walk in that space, believe it or not, there is a greater ripple effect to me being here right now. There's something greater. You being here right now, there's something greater in that. So as I walk knowing that he has a plan and he's orchestrating that thing, then every day I should say, order my steps in your word, dear Lord. You follow what I'm saying? And, if you, and the Bible also says when you do this, you will hear a voice behind you say, this is the way, walk ye in it. It doesn't say look to tradition. It doesn't, doesn't say look to your pastor. It says look to him, and he will direct exactly where and what you're supposed to be doing. Your safety is in his word. Your safety is being guided by his instruction. I, I love God's mercy towards me. I tell you that. All right. So notice how many there are here. There's Babylon is one. Media Persia is two. Greece is three. Pagan uh, Pagan Romans four or Romans four and paper Romans five. There are five, five are there, okay. We're, we're making progress. I want you to go with me to the book of Revelation very quickly. Back to Revelation two verse chapter thirteen. Look at verse number three. Revelation 13 In verse number 3 it says and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast How many heads does it have? No. How many heads How many heads does it have? Seven heads. Is everybody with me? Okay, stay with me, I know y'all are sleepy, I know, but stay with me. So it has seven heads. One of the seven heads are wounded. Okay, so here, let's do a little bit of, uh, forgive me for my horrible artwork. This is my beast. These are the legs. It's horrible, right? All right, this is a head. This is a head. This is a head. This is a head. A head. Head. Was that six? That's a head. Stay with me. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, Papal. Rome we have not identified this one or this one are you with me okay I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death one of its heads now anybody ever watch forgive me if I take you back to a, a cartoon that you don't remember It also was in it was also in Transformers there was a ro- it was a robot that he would s- switch his head you might know about that Every time he would switch his head, he would have a different personality. Uh, so he would switch, and every head was a different person. So in this, it's the same idea that each head doesn't rule at the same time. Whatever head is present is the one that the body is. Are you with me? So Babylon, when it's on the scene, the whole beast is Babylon. When Meta Persia is on the scene, the whole beast is Meta Persia. When the grease is on the scene, the whole beast is greased. You follow? Whatever heads that's alive and kicking, that's the one that's running the, running the operation. And it says, I saw one of its heads as a wo- were wounded to death. So that appears like this one dies, and its deadly wound was healed. Well, we know that the, the, the papacy was the one that received the deadly wound. We know that they ruled from 538 to 1798. So we, we know that this one, number five, is the one that received the wound. It looked like it was dead, but it doesn't die. Are you with me, my friends? Stay with me. All right. The question would be: and Now, if you were, and this is sometimes when, whenever I do a study like this, sometimes when we when we go when we through these well, series, sometimes when we go deep, sometimes we lose the big picture. So you don't realize that I'm actually talking about the big picture when we're down there snorkeling. So one night, we talked about this let me see maybe let me see what this if we did number 5 let me come out of that let me show you this one night we talked about this anybody remember this you guys remember this all right does does do you guys remember what was stated about the french revolution by these men so this man this man is president woodrow wilson you you miss you may have missed this night And Woodrow Wilson said some of the biggest men in the United States in the field of commerce and manufacture are afraid of something. They know that there is a power somewhere so organized. So whatever this power is, is an organized power. So organized, so subtle, so watchful, so interlocked, so complete, so pervasive, that they had better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. This is the president who was in charge of installing the central bank in the United States of America. This is the president that was essentially manipulated. Mass- There's a book called uh, uh, "A Creature from Jekyll Island. It's about, this big. it's about this big. Read about how that whole bank system was established. And he was the president that they chose to put in position to make it happen. So he's talking about this power. Then watch what this one says. This is uh, Winston Churchill. And watch what he says. From the days of Spartacus Westhop to those of Karl Marx to those of Trusky Belacon, Rosen Luxemburg, and Emma Golden, notice what he says this worldwide conspiracy has been growing, has been steadily growing. The conspiracy played a definitely recognizable role in the tragedy of the French Revolution. It has been the mainspring. Of every, what does the word every mean? Yeah, man. So it has been the mainstream of every subversive movement during the 19th century. And now at last, this band of extraordinary personalities from the underworld of the great cities of Europe and America have gripped the Russian people by the hair of their heads and become practically the undisputed masters of of that enormous empire. So there's a system, an organized system that he acknowledges and that the president acknowledges that influenced the French Revolution that we studied in detail in Revelation chapter 11, those two witnesses, and we saw that that power that came up out of the bottomless pit attacked the Word of God. Anybody remember that? It attacked the Word of God, and it's saying that there is a system organized that is present in his day, and it was organized all the way back during the French Revolution time. Now, before I get to my my favorite writer, Outside the Bible, I want to go back to the dictionary. You guys remember the dictionary? Encyclopedia Britannica Illuminati says, a short-lived movement, which we know that's not true, founded as a secret society in 1776, that is true, in Bavaria by Adam Westhop, professor of canon law at the University of Ingstadt and a former Jesuit. Its aim was to, what's it say? Read it out loud. What does it say? By a religion of what? This is from the Encyclopedia Britannica. This is not from my personal library. (laughs) This is something that you can look up and you can see for yourself. So there was an organized system that intentionally sought to replace the Bible with reason. So how would they do that? They would do that via educational systems. Right? So they would implement a, 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 you ever wonder why you are, when you go and graduate from college, what do they call you when you graduate graduate from college? They call you an alumni. You are an enlightened one. Anybody paying attention? There was an intent to move you away from trusting what the word of God says to trusting your own mind. Tell me. In, our, in fact, let me just say this. That system of thinking went to the West as socialism and communism and came to the East. I mean, I'm sorry, the West. It went to the East as socialism and communism, but came to the West as secular humanism. Everybody following so far? So it, it, some of you are alive during the 1960s. What? what, was, what tell me what that time was about? What did you say? Cold the Cold War? What, what was happening in society at that time? Oh, there you go. So now she's telling the truth right now, right? <laughs> so it was free love. Yeah. It was kind of just do what you want to do. It was your thing, right? Was, that was that time frame. That mentality comes from the teachings of the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. It's the absence of God permeating society on every level, from the highest educational places and permeating businesses, so forth and so on. God is not in the mind. It's a seeking to remove God from the mind. Okay, that's understood. This system is present even to this day. Let me see, let me see something else. I, I don't want to show you that video again. I want, I want to jump around a little bit, and I want to go back here. So here is I don't want to go through every detail again. Let me go here, here we go. Right here. So this is from a book called Education, page two twenty eight. It says, At the same time, anarchy is seeking to sweep away all law, not only divine, but what, my friends? Human. The centralizing of wealth and power. First of all, is that happening, yes or no? Yes. In 2008, when that financial crisis took place, do you know what happened to the money? The money was simply moved to a different location, under a different power. All these people lost their money, but it was on purpose, At the same time, Anarchy is seeking to sweep away all law, not only divine but human, the centralizing of wealth and power, the vast combinations for the enriching of the few at the expense of the many, the combinations of the poorer classes for the defense of their interests and claims. What do you call the combination of the poorer classes? You call those unions. Pay attention, my friends. The spirit of unrest, of riot and bloodshed, the widespread or worldwide dissemination of the same teaching that led to the french revolution are tending to involve what my friends the whole world in a struggle struggle similar to that which convulsed france so france was a little test tube if you will now these teachers are permeated everywhere and those same teachings are influencing the entire world but this time i told you like last time the beast that comes out of the, the bottomless pit last time didn't have a woman riding her. But this time, a woman rides the beast. This time, a church system is sitting on top of these teachings and philosophies And all the world. I, it, whether it be uh, Muslim, whether it be Buddhist, whether it be Episcopalian, it doesn't matter what religion it is, they're going to come and Acquiesce under this one power. And I see what I'm saying, I'm prophesying to you. Like you know how Noah, when he would preach, he would preach that there's going to be a flood, but there would be no clouds. He would preach that there's going to be rain. It had never rained before. You, you follow the idea? So when I'm telling you that every every religion, every religion in the world, whether it be Christian, whether it be Buddhist, whether it be episcopal, I don't care what it is every islam all the religion it may not seem like it right now but i'm telling you all the religion of the world are to come under this one power under this one power and i'm telling you it sounds strange but the distinguishing mark between them and god's righteous people were those who keep god's commandments in every ounce of what it says and those who don't and the devil is interesting because he he's smarter than all of us can we agree on that can we agree the devil's smarter than all of us okay so we agree on that the devil knew that when he tempted eve to eat the fruit that it would compromise everything in the human eye we say that's a small matter it's a small thing why would god be concerned about something so small But in God's mind, he understands that if you cannot be obedient in that which is least, he cannot trust you with things that is much. Does that make sense? This is a small thing. Well, take care of the small thing. Remember the story of the ten talents? He gives five talents to one guy, two talents to another guy, one talent to one guy. The one guy with five talents invested gets ten. The other one invests with his two talents, it gets four. The one guy with one talent says, you know what? I fear that him, that he would d- discipline me if I lose his money. So I'm going to bury it in the ground. God said, you take your one talent, give it to the one that has 10. And you, and it's, again, it's strange words that ye- Jesus uses, but the kingdom of heaven is likened unto. He always uses that phrase, right? But he says, you that had the one talent, go out and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He equates weeping and gnashing of teeth with the man that has one talent and buries it in the ground. What you see as small, God sees as big. He understands the deep things. And that's why the last test, my friends, is going to be over his Sabbath. Because it's going to seem small. I mean, it's just a day, right? It's just just a day. It's just a day. But you back up. What's in the day? He blessed it. He sanctified it. He set it apart. It's a symbol of his authority as king, as ruler, as his authority, is his territory. It's a day that represents him. So the devil says, I got you. I'm gonna make a day just to show that I have just as much authority as you do. Do you remember the story of the of um Absalom, story of Absalom and King David. King David is running for his life, and Absalom goes and gets David's concubines. And he literally goes and, you know, does this thing with them on top of a roof to symbolize I got what was my father's is now mine. The devil's the same way. What's the father's? Is mine. And I have so much power. And this is to me, it it it's a sad thought because at the end of the day, when you think about it, the devil wants to rule this earth. I'm gonna show you something else. Let me let me show you something else. And then I'm gonna try to let you guys go home a little bit early because tomorrow is a long day. Let me show you this. You see this? So this is the progression of the compromises that has taken place over time. So in the year 1999, this is in a newspaper article, it says, Catholics, Lutherans, finally reach agreement on salvation. It says the the great 482-year dispute between Catholics and Protestants is about to end. Notice it says Catholics and Protestants. It doesn't say Catholics and Lutherans even though the title said Catholics and Lutherans, okay? And then it says the declaration is scheduled to be signed October 31st, the anniversary of the start of the Reformation. Why would they sign it on the day of the start of the Reformation, the day that Luther uh, nails the 95 Theses on the, on the wall? Why does it do that? This happened in the year 1999. This is the, fir- this is the first of many things that began to transpire. 1999, Catholic and Lutherans finally reached an agreement. And notice what Luther says, oh, how much pain it has caused me, though I had the scriptures on my side, that I should dare to make a stand against the Pope and hold him forth as Antichrist. Twas so I fought with myself and with Satan till Christ, by his own infallible word, fortified my heart against these doubts. This was Luther's words. And now they're taking on, see see what the devil does? On the day that Luther da- nails the 95 thesis, the devil says, guess what? We're gonna have a we're gonna reconcile. Luther, you made a mistake. Luther, you made a mistake. And for the church to acknowledge that Luther made a mistake doesn't make any sense because he didn't make any mistake. There's salvation in one person only, Jesus Christ the righteous. You can't get salvation by eating right, amen. You don't get salvation by going to church once a week, amen. You get your salvation through a person. His name is Jesus. And as Jesus works in you, the fruits of righteousness begin to manifest themselves. No, the church does not teach the same thing. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me, Luther said. I'll pass this. I'll show you this. Leaders, leaders propose Christian alliance. Huh, I wonder what that is. Highlight this. The church leaders from 30 denominations agreed Wednesday on our proposals to create the broadest alliance of Christians ever formed in the United States. What year was that? The proposal being sent to churches says that in the early stages, the alliance will exist mostly for common worship, fellowship, and dialogue on commonalities and differences. Later, it will become more active in speaking to society with a common voice. Y'all not paying did you hear what that just said? Yeah. Okay, if you take what I just showed you here and then last night I showed you what happened. Everybody was saying, we are all Catholics now. They were all speaking with one voice. Whenever possible, and sponsor forums where Christians can address specific issues. This is 2003. So what I'm showing you is a progression A step towards compromise within the body of Christ. That compromise, I believe there are honest people who don't know exactly what they're doing. They don't know what I'm telling you tonight. Okay? They're thinking they're solving a problem, but what's happening is we're headed towards a time of persecution where God will ultimately be glorified. Let me tell you something. I'm going to pause for a second on this. There are persons that teach things like this, and they become afraid. Now, I'm not telling you this so you can be afraid. You remember Jesus when he was on his way to Calvary? Do you think Jesus was afraid on his way to Calvary? Do you know that Jesus had it on his mind from the time that he came that he was going to die? Like he knew it, and he would tell his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And the disciples were like, oh, be it far from you, Lord. Be be it far. No, his mind, he understood the plan. He was was connected with the plan in heaven, so there was a cross awaiting him. He knew that I'm going to die. I've come to die. Do you realize that our generation, our mindset should be okay with that? The Bible says that we follow the lamb wherever he goes. Why didn't it say you follow the lion? It said follow the lamb. The reason why it said follow the lamb, because the lamb is headed to slaughter. And there needs to be a people that are willing to sacrifice everything for God when all the world turns against him. So there's a crisis coming. And there have been people that have been afraid for years to enter into the crisis. Because they don't understand the plan. They don't understand the plan. You see, it is when Christ was lifted up on the cross that all eyes were on him. And it's when the believer, do you know during the dark ages, uh, 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 I forget the guy's name. It will come to me in the history books. uh, He said, the blood of martyrs is seed. You know what that means? So in other words every time they killed a a, a christian more christians would come up so the blood of martyrs is seed so when the christian went to to a stake to burn they weren't like oh no i'm gonna burn at the stake they were at the stake and they would sing they would be on fire and they would be singing because they were faithful to what god had said do you think our generation's going to get off by being just hey we're just cool everybody's cool christianity's cool no, Christianity, when it's lived right and demonstrated properly, it will receive persecution. But then the Christian that's now, everyone, everything has to be cool. We don't want any persecution. And I'm not saying we go out there and call be crazy and fanatical. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is true Christianity will bring the reproach of the enemy. And the enemy is not just going to let you be. He's going to challenge you. Because when you live right for Jesus, it makes him look bad. Are you hearing what I'm saying, my friends? So as we see these things approaching, I'm not afraid. In my mind, I'm like, Father, help me to resolve, let me, help me have more firm resolve to be a true Christian. When somebody slaps me in the face, can I still love them? Right? Because I want the Christianity to be real. I want it to be genuine. When they take my money away from me, when they take my wife or take my daughter, boy, look at here. Right now they do it. It might be and we might have to fight. But as a lamb before his tears was dumb, yet he opened not his mouth. This is the spirit of Christ when he is being persecuted, and so it should be ours when things don't go right. You see, if you're losing your temper, if you're losing your temper, when somebody cuts you off in the road, you ain't right yet. In your home, if you're constantly fighting with each other, just fighting, fighting, it's our husband fight, 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 fight. We, we ain't ready yet. The Christianity hasn't found itself resolved and rested in the Most High God. Peace is evidence. Rest in Christ is evidence of that salvation. So, 2003, the, the largest alliance ever formed. That's what it said. Catholic bishop joins Christian alliance. Notice. Notice. The, Roman, the nation's Roman Catholic bishops voted Wednesday to join a new alliance that would be the broadest Christian group ever formed in the United States, linking American evangelicals and Catholics in an ecumenical organization for, what's it say, my friends? First time, first time does that mean second time? Does first time mean third time? That first time means first time. So this is the first time that it had ever been done. This is the year 2004. So you see, 1999, 2003, 2004, there's a movement afoot, gaining momentum. Justice Sunday message, people hold the power. Bishop Harry Jackson Jr., a Maryland pastor and author, spoke about the new sense of the white evangelical church and the Catholic church to deal with the moral issues. We are not just going to sit back and let America go down this ramp of immorality alone he says. So what are we going to do? Now is the time. This is our time. Call and write your senators. Organize. Tell your friends to do the same. So what, what, what is the appeal of the church? Go to the civil power. Ask the civil power for help. This is what it's saying. This is what they're crying for. <laughs> Notice this. Sutton first vice president of the Nashville-based Southern Baptist Convention, the nation's largest Protestant body, closed with five sentences. It's a new day. Liberalism is dead. The majority of Americans are conservative. You can count on us for showing up and speaking out and let the church rise. Again, the language is used. We're going to go to the state. We're going to take control of our country this way. Now, Oh, let me go a little bit further. This is 2005, 2005. Now, tomorrow, I, I might put some things up tomorrow. I, I think I will. You, I have a series of uh, slides and, and videos that I did not bring tonight. But when Donald Trump came into power, do you know who put him in the office? The evangelical Christians put him in the office. Do you know who has the, the president's ear right now? The evangelical Christians have a phone call. They have to make a phone call right there for the president to talk to him. Now, there's nothing wrong with that man talking to people to make sure he's right with the Lord and so forth and so on. But I'm telling you, it's too close for comfort. Because the issue is not Jesus' salvation. The issue is implementing religious ideas and principles through the laws of the state to enforce righteousness via a legislation. Now, my friends, we've what I'm saying to you, we have been saying for years as a church. It's at the door. It's at the door. Let me show you something else. And I think you guys have seen this, but I'll put it up just so you can see it. This is another article um, from Time Magazine, and on the seventh day, he, we rested. Maybe those old blue laws weren't so crazy after all. We talked about that yesterday. You'll see there they highlight the, the seventh day as Sunday right there. They make that the emphasis. Notice this one. Here's, and this is from Kalamazoo Gazette. Here's one my conservative base is really going to like. This is a picture of George Bush. A constitutional amendment requiring folks to attend church where? See, my mind says, why put the propaganda out like that? Why isn't Sunday special anymore? The article goes on to say we should go back to those days when the Sunday was special. Saving Sunday. This is actually an article from Worcester Mass back in 2009. Talking about church attendance and how people should be going back to church on Sunday. Church leaders trying to save the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not Sunday, but they call the Sabbath Sunday. Let me pass this. We don't need none of this right now. Let me pass that. Let me show you something else. There is this. Mm. Yeah, let me go here. So I'm going to summarize the general thought. So here we have the judgment. We said the judgment began in 1844. Judgment is set. The books are open. And here's number six. I call it the is power. (laughs) I call it intellectual spiritualism or spiritualism or intellectualism, whatever you want to call it. It's an organized, systematic power. That power is about to go off the scene. And Donald Trump is evidence of that power about to go off the scene. Have you ever seen a, have you ever seen, um, and I'm just talking to you right now, the demonization of either party? What I mean is the conservatives see the Democrats as evil. And the Democrats see the conservatives as evil. Yeah. I've, ne- I've never seen that before. Like they're evil, like they're of the devil. That's how, that's how people are thinking. This is an evil party. Never seen that before. But both parties represent some ideologies. One is a more conservative Christian ideology. The other is a more of a liberal secular mindset uh, 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 of ideology. The ideology, when I say intellectual spiritualism, it goes back to the Illuminati, goes back to that organized system. That system that is present today is soon about to be moved off the scene. Now, the reason why I know that is because when they pass a national Sunday law, very, very soon, that Sunday law or that mark of the beast will bring the test to you and I in living color. What do I mean by that? Um, let's see, you guys have the other handout they gave you? All right, so I want you to go all the way to page number, the last page, the last page. This page right here, this is the one, this one right here. Now, what I did was, because there's always people denying whether or not there's a judgment of the living, and in the Bible, there have been several judgments of the living, okay? And what I did was I graphed out a series of what it means to be judged during the living, during time of the living. So you'll see it says judgment of the living comparison chart, person and event, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had a test. What was Adam and Eve's test? Don't eat the fruit correct? That was a literal test that if they didn't pass the test, then something was going to happen to them. You follow what I'm saying? That was the judgment of the living. So when they ate the fruit, they were kicked out of the garden and God literally just like, they were gone. Now, Cain and Abel, what was Cain and Abel's test? Yeah, Cain and Abel, what sacrifice they were going to bring. And when Cain brought the fruit offering, and Abel brought the blood offering. That was a living test. Are you following the idea? There has been living tests throughout Scripture. Give you another one. Tower of Babel. That was a living test. And God came down, and the Bible says he came down himself and investigated and walked among them. And he saw that they were not faithful, so God had to execute judgment and confounded their tongues. are living tests my friends Lot's wife remember Lot's wife Lot's wife she was told let's go and as they're running out she looks back and she turns into a pillar of salt A, a, a little small antidote here when I was little uh I read that story and in the passage it says and her her body is there until this day and I'm thinking she's still there then I got older, it's like, oh, she's not there now. When they wrote it, she was still there, you know. So there was a test for Lot's wife. She looks back, she turns into a pillar of salt. God had to execute judgment, probation closed on her. The Jewish, the Jewish nation at Mount Sinai, that was a test. They built the golden calf. They're dancing around with the golden calf. God comes down, he has to execute judgment. People were killed during that time frame. And then it's interesting When they did not bow to the golden image, those who did not bow who were found faithful, which were the Levites, God said, because you did not bow down, I am now taking the Levites and they're going to be special to me. Y'all follow that idea? So it is with the the image to the beast. See, those who don't bow down first. So you guys, this group right here, you have the opportunity to be faithful first. Because when the test comes, everybody's not going to be aware. So when we're faithful God's going to say, you have been special to me. I'm going to bring you close to myself. And do you know that the Levites, the Levites were the ones that went with the temple everywhere it went? The reason why is because they were faithful when the image was built. Amen. Are you following the idea? These stories are all helpful to help us understand how to stand in the last days. Calvary was a test for the Jewish nation. Jesus himself is walking amongst the people. It's a literal judgment of the living. And then the rejection of the Messiah comes The close of probation for the Jewish nation as the ones that are to carry the gospel to the world. The Christian church is then born. Ananias and Sapphira. You guys know Ananias and Sapphira? Money was their test. And as they worship their money and they lied to the Holy Ghost, drop dead. You'd be like, man, that's a harsh story. Can you imagine if the Holy Spirit was in the church like that today? Mercy. And in the last days, I have there the, the, the Christian church, our church. The, our test will be the National Sunday Law. Our test will be the image of the beast. The image of the beast is a union of church and state. And the question is, will we remain faithful when the world has turned its back on what God has said to do? our faithfulness will be a demonstration to the world that there is a God in heaven that there is a king in the most holy place right now listen to me friends we're going to close this right now listen to me when we look at these nations see we're we're right here we're about to move out of the sixth head we're about to move into the seventh head where the church and state are about to be united again when we move out of that situation in heaven you must understand that there is a coinciding experience so how do i explain this sister jane will you stand with me for a moment my brother will you come with me for a moment let's see if i can illustrate this i want to show you what's in my brain i don't know how to exactly all right so jane is the church okay and my brother is jesus okay so why don't you stand right here sis stand right here yeah face them you're Jesus right here. All right. So what happens on earth is that the church comes up to the test. All right. come in this way, sis. This is the test. This is the test. Now, Jesus is in the, most, in the most holy place. And right now in the most holy place, he's cleaning the books. He's cleaning the books. He's cleaning the record. He's trying to make sure who's on his side. And as he's trying to figure out who's on his side, he's cleaning up. He says, okay, Father, I'm done with the judgment of the dead. It's time to judge the living. Well, how do you judge the living? Well, we have to test them. We have to test and see who's on God's side. So this, my brother, will you come stand with me for a moment? This is the dividing line. And stand, Just stand right here. Yeah, stand this way towards the people. All right, so this is the dividing line. This is the marker of the test. So Jesus, if you could move on this side. So Jesus moves to this side of the work. He begins to now sprinkle his blood on the curtain. He's sprinkling blood on the curtain. That's the imagery that we're given. When he's sprinkling the blood on the curtain, now she comes to the test. Boom, that's the test. He's the test. She comes to the test. At this point, when she comes to the test, judgment of the living, her name, like, her name is in the book right now. It's like, all, all rise, Jane Pierre. Is she in the book of life? We're looking for her life. Well, we can't find it. Why? It's covered with the blood. Amen? It, see her name comes up it needs to be covered with the blood and the only way that you can remain covered with the blood is that you got to keep it on you you ever get cold at night like i been getting cold recently and my blanket is too short and imagine that i'm short so the blanket is way too small <laughs> so i'm i'm sleeping under the blanket and then in the middle of the night i can feel a little extra cold breeze that wakes me up. That means I'm not covered. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm sleeping, I'm not warm anymore. My feet are out, I'm cold. I'm not covered. The same way as in your Christian life. You see, when you find yourself playing with sin over and over, that means you're not covered. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When you find yourself playing with it, I'm not saying you accidentally fell into it. I'm saying you did it and you did it again. And you did your feet aren't covered. You need to cover it yourself you're covering that blood. You need to be nice and warm, nice and cozy. Don't come out for anything. It's not safe. It's not safe. So when the test comes, here's the test. She passes the test. Boom. Now, she's the first to pass the test. A, when the test comes to her, she's knowledgeable. She understands the test. Not the people that come to the test and don't understand the test, they're not judged yet. She comes to the test, she's knowledgeable, she passes the test. Now, she's special. In God's eyes, she's the first of many who will come to the knowledge of the reality of what this is about. And as she's the first of many, she's now being, going to be used by God to proclaim and teach a message to tell people, hey, get ready. Jesus is coming. Get ready. We're in the final movement. Jesus is coming. You see, my job right now, before the law is passed, is to give a warning. So that way, when the test comes, there could be people ready to enter into the test. But he can't have people ready to enter into the test when they don't know that it's about to be a test. doesn't make sense. You see, if my teacher tells me on this date, there's going to be a test, then I have time to prepare. I can get myself in order. I can study. I can put my overdrive study in. I can go in. I can can get ready. So that's that's the purpose of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Let me just be very clear, clear with you. The reason why I'm here is to help people get ready for the test, to tell them a test is coming. So when the test comes, there can be examples for so others when they come to the test to know, oh, that's what you're supposed to do when the test comes. And then when I come to the test, so I saw Jane do it. I joined her on this side. And we're faithful to God as the world is in rebellion. But my friends, you can't come to the test and not be prepared. You can't come to the test and haven't brought your body into obedience and your passions into into subjection to the spirit of God. You can't come to the test and just hope, well, I mean, it's just a day. It doesn't really matter what day it is. And then you step into the court and they say, do you keep this day holy? And then it'll are like, yeah, I keep the day holy. And then they'd be like, well, your Internet searches show that uh, you actually are a horrible person. So now you're in, the, you're in the middle of something. On top of that, I'm just going to, listen, I'm just being, a, I'm having a conversation. On top of that, you come to court and you're, you're, you're hindering world unity. You're hindering world peace. You're stopping the world from coming together. Why are you being so obstinate? These are the things they're going to be saying to you. And in your mind, you're looking at everybody. And it looks like everybody's coming together and all these miracles are happening. All these wonderful things are happening around the world. And you're, and you're being stubborn to what the scripture says. And then, God forbid this were to ever happen, I'll come into the courtroom. And I say, you know brother, the stuff I was teaching you, that was fanatical. That was my own ideas, man, I, I was deceived. Mm-hmm. Now listen, I, what I'm saying right there, by God's grace, I will not do that. But others within my own people will do that, you know why? Mm-hmm. Because as the storm approaches, A large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message, but have not been sanctified by obedience to the truth, will abandon their position and join the ranks of the opposition. While uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. And when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy, popular side. And then it says, Men of talent and pleasing address who once rejoice in the truth become the worst opposition. So, my friends, the test as it's presented to us, as I'm giving it to you now, it's time to get ready. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's time to get ready. It's almost like in Joel chapter 2, where it says, Gather your children, come together. Press together, clean out your refrigerator, clean out your home, clean out your TV, clean out your internet, clean out everything. Come together. The most high is in the most holy place, and he's doing a cleansing work. Let him do his work, my friends. Let him do his work. You can take a seat, family. I appreciate you standing there. So, my friends, I'm giving you a general overview right now. We're about to pass from the is state to the AP, American Prophecy State. AP means American Prophecy. America will pass a law that enforces Sunday worship. And that AP condition will begin the final test, where the the papacy rides the beasts, where it rides the whole kingdoms of the earth, under that one power. We're going to finalize and wrap some things up tomorrow, my friends, but I, I just want you to understand the weight and the reality of what I'm saying to you. It's, there is one other thing I wanted to share, but I'm going to have to save it to Tomorrow. I have a question. How many in this room tonight recognize that you don't have it in yourself to be faithful to God? How many recognize that you don't have that in yourself? Praise God. And you know, my friends, there are, there are several things. That must be done <laughs> before Jesus comes back. You know, the most, the most urgent is that his church on earth really learns how to love each other. I mean, I've preached all over the globe, man. I mean, I've been everywhere. I don't even know how. It doesn't make sense how I got over the globe. I I didn't start out trying to preach all over the globe, but I've been there. And the problem is the same everywhere I go. Everywhere I go. There's always this spirit of gossip and backbiting. Everywhere I go. Doesn't matter where it is. Jesus made a clear pronunciation when he said, they will know you are my disciples when you have love for one another. This is the evidence that the Spirit of God is working in his body. I need that love, don't you? I pray for that. There's many things that must be done, but that, of that most important thing is to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Put aside all this nonsense. <laughs> love each other. You know, it's interesting because it's the, you know, John chapter 15, John 16, John 17. These are the last words of Christ before he goes to Calvary. He beckons his disciples to love each other. He beckons them. Love each other. Can you love the unlovable? If I have a a theological difference from you, like I don't see it exactly the way you see it, can you still love me? Or you're going to beat me up? (laughs) I don't eat exactly the way you want me to eat. I mean, exactly. I mean, you, you do... Uh, yeast flakes and I don't do yeast flakes you still going to love me they're going to know you're my disciples by your love my challenge to you my friends let's love each other let's put away all this nonsense on the day of Pentecost do you know what they were doing in the upper room they were searching their hearts They were examining the words of Jesus. They were making sure that there was nothing separating them from each other. And the Bible says when they were all in one accord and in one place, God sent forth his spirit. One accord. One accord in one place. They're going to do what they do. They're going to organize and they're going to do all their evil deeds. But this right here, let's come on one accord. One mind, one heart. The same heartbeat of Jesus, let's be on that one mind, one heart. And I promise you, he will pour out his spirit. Let's pray together tonight. Father in heaven, our test is coming. You've been looking for a long time for a people that would accept the test. And Father, we are not ready. We do not reflect the lovely image of Jesus as we should. But, Father, we want to be ready. We want to be used by you. We want to help bring this evil, no-good, rotten world to its close. We want your eternal kingdom to be established forever. We thank you, Father, for loving us and saving us. We thank you for calling us out of darkness into this marvelous light. But, Father, right now we're on our knees, and we recognize, Lord, that as a people we have not come together as one. There are too many things separating us, Father. Too many things in our hearts, too much strife. and We've been hurt so many times we don't even know if we want to love anybody. But, Father, we, we yield our hearts to you. You were willing to be buffeted and spit upon, knowing that this would happen, and you still came. And you still gave your heart and your heart and your mind for us. Father, teach us to do the same. Father, I pray for each one under the sound of my voice tonight. I pray that you strengthen the resolve. Seal us with your seal, Father. So that the enemy will have no room in our hearts at all. Seal us, Father, for we do not want the mark or the, the beast or his number or his character. We don't, we don't want nothing to do with him. We want to be faithful, Father. So please, Lord, be with your children tonight. Continue to open our minds and our understanding that we can understand the plan and walk in it. We love you, Lord. But we pray that you teach us to love you more than anything else in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen.